Remember, exercise is defined as any movement that makes your muscles work. So that's swimming, running, yoga, walking, and even just dancing. With pieces catering to everybody, Sweaty Betty have something to suit whatever fitness means to you. Nothing makes me feel happier and more confident than a full coverage sports bra and definitely high-waisted leggings. You'll have trouble deciding whether to wear them on a night out or to the gym. They are so stylish. And if you're feeling inspired to get some new kit, then we've got a treat for you. Visit sweatybetty.com forward slash podcasts and get 20% off using the code foodforthought at the checkout. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Amazing opportunities present themselves to us all the time, but how often do we act on these and create success for ourselves? Have you ever considered how our brain really functions and what we can do to elevate it, allowing us to seize opportunities and generate new waves of positivity? This may sound complex, but it all comes down to training our brain, which in turn could change your life for the better. Joining me today to help us uncover the workings of the brain and how it can be mastered is Dr. Tara Swat, a neuroscientist, leadership coach, author, and a medical doctor. Hello, Tara. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's been an incredible journey for you. I know you've got a lot going on. You said you've just come back from America and you've been immensely busy. So I guess if we start by saying, can training our brain actually allow us to accept and succeed in taking life's changing opportunities? As a neuroscientist, I'm obviously going to say yes to that. But actually just thinking about what you said about me just coming back from America. So I did two trips. I was jet lagged pretty much constantly for two months. I would come back, do a podcast, go back. And I know now personally more than ever that all the training I did to build my resilience um, to just use different parts of my brain, you know, if I'm tired or jet lagged or just in a new situation, helped me so much. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing that message. Wow. I mean, even just, I wish this is where we're going to get all the answers before I even go on. So let's start by saying, could you give us a breakdown of the anatomy of the brain? So there are, there are three different areas, aren't there? So the central nervous system is basically the brain and spinal cord. And obviously the spinal cord runs all the way down your the centre of your body. And that's probably the most important place to start with the brain-body connection. Because, because psychology has been around for so long and everyone knows more about it, we sometimes feel like the brain and the body are a bit disconnected. So the spinal cord sends out all the nerves into the whole body and brings back information from the outside world. It travels up the spinal cord, 
through the brainstem, which is a bulgy bit of the spinal cord that's just behind your ear. Um, and then there's two cauliflower-shaped things on the side of that. Called, I'm visualising it all. <laughs> the cerebellum. Um, and then basically the rest of the brain is the cerebrum. Um, and they're very, very connected as well. So it's not like spinal cord and then brainstem and then brain. It's the, the brainstem is inserted deeply inside the brain and then the outer folded cortex wraps around it. It's fascinating. I think anyone listening, if you have the luxury of loading perhaps an image on your iPhone or something, just while we're discussing it, that would probably be quite helpful as well. And I also heard that the brain's hemispheres are divided into four different lobes as well. You've actually reminded me that there's this amazing app called 3D Brain App. Oh, It's free, but if you pay like 99p, then you support the laboratory that created it. And you can basically turn the brain around, look inside it, put labels. So... If you got the home page, you'd see the outer part of the brain with the four different lobes in different colours. So it's the frontal lobe behind your forehead, the temporal lobes on either side by your temples, the parietal lobe sort of at the top in the centre, and then the occipital lobe um, at your occiput, which is the base of your... That's a bit of a mouth, mouth <laughs> or the bottom one, the occipital lobe. Occipital. What, so what do they do? What are these different functions and how does the brain send the signals around the body? So I prefer to talk about the systems within the brain than necessarily the segments that we've just discussed, but it's really important to think of it as those three parts and then the four lobes. And within that, not necessarily in certain areas, but connected up in amazing ways, are all the different systems and structures, like the limbic system is one that, you know, I I know we're going to talk about um, because it's so important to emotion. And so each system has structures in different parts of the brain and they're connected up through neural pathways which are individual neurons that have little gaps between them where um, chemical and electrical signals pass across. Um, In the brain it's mostly chemicals, it's neurotransmitters like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. You're going to be getting a lot of oxytocin very soon. (laughs) I really hope so, I've heard it's going to get me through my birth (laughs) single-handedly. It is. (laughs) Um, So so these the chemicals move across the gap and then they cause electrical signals that conduct along the axon. And basically the more neurons that connect up together, the thicker neural pathways that you have. And that's actually the secret that's behind everything that we're going to talk about. Because if you train your brain, you essentially make more and more of those connections and you build up a pathway and that's your new habit or your desired behavior. And that's how amazingly you can change your brain incredible it's taken me back to university thinking of neurons and axons and all these different types of um, anatomy it's incredible so we want to achieve a healthy brain what can we all do to go about achieving this so is there anything like I don't know exercise um, yes so I have a sort of a five five point checklist for myself like um, for example if I'm jet lagged I think okay which of these things can I do so they are rest fuel hydrate oxygenate and simplify so rest is sleep um i'm a big fan of napping but it doesn't replace that sleep that we need to have overnight solidly um and since the nobel science prize winning research on the glymphatic system came out we understand a lot more about why we need to sleep for seven to nine hours a night um, because the brain goes through an active cleansing process during that time And if we regularly disrupt that, then we're setting ourselves up for serious problems later in life. Um, So sleep is mostly to do with cleaning the brain. Fuel, as you know, um, is 
um, having a nutrition-dense diet. And from the brain point of view, that's all the dark-skinned berries and beans, so blueberries, um, the the darker beans like kidney beans. I have started um, getting everything in purple, like purple carrots, purple sweet potatoes, <laughs> yeah. purple broccoli. Aubergines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the the good fats, so the oily fish, avocado, all the good oils, Mm. um, coconut oil in moderation, along with things like ghee and olive oil. Um, All the hydrating foods like the leafy greens, the um, cucumber, melon, those sorts of foods, you actually get more water from them than by drinking water. Yes, and I think that's something people don't understand a lot of the time is that the way the food processes, our body processes food rather, it's almost like the supplement example. You'll never get as much out of a supplement as if you were to actually eat food. Absolutely. So, And that's why I say nutrition-dense diet because you need to be trying to get all of that good stuff that your brain Mm. hoovers up from your food. Um, and if you're not, then taking supplements isn't going to, you know, make, yeah. make that difference. Um, so um, eggs, nuts and seeds, all of those things are the sort of foods that your brain really loves. I think an important thing to say here is that although our brain only weighs two or three kilos and it's a tiny p- percentage of our body weight. <clears throat> sorry. It's OK. A tiny percentage of our body weight. Um, the brain actually uses up 25 to 30 percent of what we eat. But I think we spend so much time thinking about what weight we want to be, how we want to look, what sport, sporting achievements we want. But we don't really think, what should I eat so I can make really good decisions? What should I eat so I can be more mentally resilient? Which is such a wonderful way of looking at life and looking at your diet. I think it's more of a positive aspect to encourage anyone to embark upon healthy behaviours rather than focusing on aesthetics, which is often associated, sadly, with nutrition. So, so true. And I think... The nice thing, though, is the brain-friendly diet is basically an anti-aging diet and an anti-cancer diet. So, Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and what's not to like? Um, and then, you know, I've mentioned hydration. We do also need to drink water. And it comes back to what you were asking about, about those chemical and electrical messages passing between neurons. It Physiologically, that process needs to be lubricated. So, um, And, you know, people drink coffee they drink wine they drink all sorts of things but we easily forget to drink water so it's important to remind ourselves that we need to do that oxygenation is exercise as Mm -hmm. you said um there are actually three physiological ways that you can change your brain so myelination is this fatty coating that increases the electrical conductance along neurons Um, synaptic connection is what i talked about before making more connections between individual neurons and the neurogenesis which doesn't happen much in the adult brain is creating new neurons from little embryonic cells. And aerobic exercise is the single best thing um, for promoting that. The good news is that if you're a couch potato and you start aerobic exercise, you get a dramatic percentage increase in neurogenesis. There you go, guys. New new challenge coming up. It's definitely my excuse for stopping and starting all the time. So you get a sudden burst of new appearing neurons. That's what I tell myself. Brilliant. And then the simplify is sort of to do with mindfulness, but it's also about reducing choices because I think all of these good things get trumped by stress. And if we're always switched on and we're like always on the go and we've got information overload, it's so stressful for our brains. So sort of being mindful to try to reduce that as much as possible. I mean, they are wonderful pillars um, for everybody to remember to take home there because... In fact, a lot of them incorporate what I would hope would be a healthy, balanced lifestyle anyway. It's really hammering home that 
it is okay to stop a little bit sometimes. It is okay to move your body and, and kind of put yourself first. Because I think what we don't do is put ourselves first, which makes these kind of pillars difficult to implement. That is just too often the case. And I, you know, when when I say things like, that's the reason that I don't exercise and then I start again. People just look so relieved because I think there's an expectation that I'm doing all of those things all the time and that you are as yeah. well. Um, <laughs> if only I were eating perfectly all the time as well, might I just add. I may be a nutritionist, but I still have to check in with myself. Exactly. I think the brain plays a key part in how you obviously control and process emotions. Now, this is an area that I am completely fascinated by. So what are the most commonly known ones? So I really love the way that you've like navigated me along this path because the, we started off talking about the brain-body connection. Then you mentioned about you know, putting yourself first is about looking after your brain and that helps you to do everything else that you, you know, need and want to do in life. And a huge part of that is managing your emotions and understanding the impact that you're having on other people emotionally. So um, I have a model for the basic human emotions, which I think of as like the primary colours and then everything else that we feel comes from those. Um, there's eight of them. They are, and I'm doing them in, in a certain order, which is the survival emo emotions first. So I don't want you to feel like they all sound bad, but fear is the most basic primary emotion that we have. And it's helped us to survive yes. and thrive as a species. So fear, anger, disgust, shame and sadness are the five survival emotions. Mm. At the other end of the spectrum are um, joy and excitement on one and then love and trust together. Love and trust is the oxytocin is associated with oxytocin. Come on, love and trust. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in between those is surprise, and that can help us to flip from one state to another. So it's a useful little model for thinking yeah. about what emotions you might be experiencing and labelling them. But obviously, it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, no, completely. And as you as you quite rightly said at the beginning, it's looking at these things positively. Like you said, the first five are for survival. And it's how you really focus on channeling your fear, I suppose, or managing your emotions that are so important. And you touched on the beginning because we knew we were going to go there. But the limbic system, so that's deep within the brain. And that's responsible for the emotions and the behavior, isn't it? So that's this area. Yeah, so it's... It's responsible for the origin of the emotions and then it's interaction with that frontal cortex, the frontal lobe that we talked about. That's um, where the, the behaviours in the real world, the outcomes show up basically. So that can, the prefrontal cortex can dampen down some of your emotions or it can allow them to really like flood the brain with different um, hormones and neurotransmitters like cortisol, the stress hormone or oxytocin, yes. the love hormone. And is there a way, I mean, the brain obviously controls different emotions from um, what we experience. Is there a way of manipulating those emotions? There, so I think awareness is the key because often children and adults say, oh, I didn't know that I was, you know, behaving like that or I didn't understand how I was feeling. So that's why I made that little simple model because it's a start for saying, okay, this is the emotion that I'm experiencing. I would say that sometimes emotions do come up quite unexpectedly, but the more you get used to knowing what that feels like in your body, in your mind, and just through experience or particularly journaling, understanding what you can do to manage that, um, what happens when you don't, it's there is a physiological process in, in the brain which is raising awareness 
um, looking out for incidents or opportunities to behave or not behave in a certain way, deliberately practicing the way that you want to be. So, you know, not having no emotions or completely suppressing your emotions, but I would say mastering your emotions is the best way, you know, to have that normal range. If something really good happens, you're happy. If something challenging happens, it's okay to feel sad for a while, but it's it's about going through that and then saying, okay, I've, you know, I've experienced the sadness. Now I'm going to try to bring other emotions into my... And that's why I think um, self-analysis and learning as much as we possibly can about the body. And if we go back to the first thing we discussed as well about things we can do to enhance with our lifestyle, I think the more we have, the more knowledge we have, the more powerful we become, the more we can master those emotions or at least learn to identify them. And that's where therapy, unfortunately, the UK is seen as pretty much a luxury type of thing. Um, The NHS waiting list is is long um, for access to it. But it's something I think we almost everyone needs. You don't have to be unwell or poorly, I think, to want to address your mental resilience, your mental health, or even identify it. Absolutely. As you were speaking, I was thinking even with a long waiting list, there also has to be something wrong with you to even get onto that waiting list. Yeah. Yeah. well, as I said, I, I did a three-month sort of program on myself before my US book launch to build up my mental resilience, to understand that I was going to go through lots of emotions and just how to remain grounded and not allow even the really positive emotions to sort of like, you know, drag me away without me saying, okay, something really great's just happened, but I know that I need to stay calm, I need to sleep tonight, I need to be ready for the next thing. Um and I love the way that you've made it so clear in the way that you're asking the questions that what we eat, how we look after ourselves, that connects up to how able we are to master our emotions in a certain instance. So, you know, if you didn't sleep well last night and you skipped breakfast and then something went wrong with the recording, you'd behave quite differently to, you know, <laughs> you on your best day. Oh, and I'm sure lots of people listening have probably just had a day like that. But then that's when you know that tonight you're trying, if you can, prioritise those aspects. Absolutely. So you want to rein it back in. So is it easy to shift your emotions to different types of thinking then? I mean, to understand the feelings and be confident with them. I mean, trusting your gut is a phrase that we use a lot in the nutrition world. How relevant would that sort of thing be with your neuroscience? 100% relevant. So um, a big area of my research is around brain agility. And um, I speak about six ways of thinking that correlate to six of the pathways in the brain, um, the directions of travel of information, the limbic system, things like that. So they are number one is mastering your emotions Mm. and I've put it number one for two reasons one is that it's difficult to do so you know in no way are we sitting here saying if something terrible happens to you you should just get over it in a day or two I mean we all need to like evolve along that path of being more able to deal with the challenges that come up in life um the second one is brain body connection so again you know that's so important and that is physically the connection between the gut and the brain um, but I've, I've actually put in its separate own category, trust your gut, trust your intuition. Um, so that's already three ways of thinking, emotionally, mm. um, physically and uh, with intuition. Um, fourth on the list is logic. It has to be there, but it's so overrated in our society. Um, and 
to be honest, anybody listening to this podcast has probably got very strong logical pathways. And the areas that you can really benefit from boosting are looking at your intuition and your emotion. Um, and that's, then, did that's tricky. It's trickier. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel we're very disconnected from doing that. It's almost drummed out of you throughout the schooling systems all the way up to your working life. It's, t- it's been the case for so long, and I've been speaking about it for many years, but now with the rise of AI... It's mm-hmm. become even more important to build on the emotion intelligence, the access to your inner wisdom, um, because we're going to be um, overtaken by machines that can make decisions millions, if not billions of times faster than us. So those human capabilities are more important than ever. And keeping the future generations and this perhaps a little bit off topic, but... I mean, I'm very passionate about wanting to improve health, obviously, in, in schools and for our future generations. But actually, maybe we need to be teaching them more life skills to help them deal with AI as well. And that's where people like you will come in. I think all of those things are so important and they affect each other. Because if you feel incapable of you know, existing in this world with social media and technology and AI, then that's going to have a stressful effect on your body and come out as a you know, physical um, mental or emotional issue anyway so they're totally interconnected um, and actually the fifth the fifth way of thinking that I talk about is staying motivated and resilient um, in a way it's to meet goals but it's also because life has ups and downs and so even if you're quite comfortably on a path all the time thinking about building your resilience is super important and more so I would say for children. Well definitely and it brings me back to my psychology area of training but um, resilience I mean there's lots of research that some people are born with different levels to to other people but it it doesn't mean you can't learn it it doesn't mean it's something you can't work on I really want to encourage everyone listening to just have a think about how we manage different situations in life and also not to be scared to ask for help. I think that's probably one of the biggest things because we're trying to break down stigmas in the UK at the moment on mental health on a whole. But again, this may not have anything to do with stereotypically um, portrayed messages about mental health. This is your everyday well-being. It's your everyday well-being and it can be specific things that you need to ask help for, like an actual project. But it can also then become more of a concept in terms of do I ask you know you for a chat when I'm just struggling with something that I know you've been through and navigated really well? Do I ask you know do I outsource some accounting or IT things to someone else? I would say that asking for help is actually one of my superpowers. Luckily, I've never had an issue with it, and I've always found it so useful when I've done it. And people want to help you. That's the lovely thing yeah. as well. Um, when I started up my coaching business 12 years ago people helped me so much that I made a mental note that I'd pay it forward when I could yes Um, and I love you know being able to do that now that's the most rewarding thing and I'm with you asking know your strengths and weaknesses as well is such a big thing and I think that will help anybody thrive in today's society and you mentioned you obviously trained yourself before before America this is actually a really good example to use so did you have a, a conscious um focus on your sleep for those few months before yeah yeah I can see you nodding away (laughs) sleep your diet talk us through the picture that you worked on um so so just to wrap up and segue Mm. into that the the sixth way of thinking is actually to harness all of those five to create the real world outcomes that you want so it's creativity but in a in a neurosciencey way not the the usual way of thinking that if you're in the arts or media then that's creative. It's about using your brain power to create the life that you want. So I sort of sat down 
on it's July 15th because it was three months before the, <laughs> the book launch and thought okay I need to use all of that brain power now to make sure that I'm going to be in the best position that I can and I just really went back to basics I'm obsessed with sleep anyway but I don't think there was a one night I didn't get eight hours of sleep in that three months because I knew I'd then be jet lagged and not get that um I actually completely cut out alcohol for, for three months or and then more because I wasn't going to start on book no. launch day. <laughs> it's um, a good time to do that, actually, that yeah. time of year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good time to do that for helping my sleep, for just knowing that I was going to be at my best every day. Mm. And, you know, so I also hydrated. I do love my, you know, English breakfast or matcha green tea in the morning. So that's a ritual I don't, I'm not willing to, to give up. But I, you know, I didn't have any caffeine after 10 a.m., because um, that also can affect your sleep. And there is an argument as well that having tea, caffeine from tea, contains L-theanine, which is a very useful component that can even help promote brain health. So there's loads yeah. of different things with caffeine, but let's yeah. go with that one. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, a little bit of caffeine <laughs> yes. and early in the day is, yeah. is fine. Um, I I just, with that one, wasn't going to say, okay, no alcohol, no caffeine. I thought no alcohol was enough. Um, <laughs> and then, ve- you know, a very strong focus on the nutrition dense diet but I did also take supplements at that time because I felt like that was an important time for me to just build myself up as much as possible um I did a bit more exercise than usual I did a bit more um meditation than usual and to be honest I I also really focused on spending time with my family because I knew I was going to be away yeah um so and that's an interesting thing because when you step back and think okay what's important given what's coming you realise things like that, whereas it's easy day to day to not really realise that. Well, I think we're wired as human beings to be social creatures to some to some degree, and obviously that that differs. Um, we're all completely unique for everyone, but surely interaction with other human beings helps build on all the principles you've discussed with us today. Hundred percent, especially in terms of resilient ageing, that becomes more important. Those positive, social, meaningful relationships. Um, and in the spirit of, you know, the way we've been talking today, I will say that I I went to America for three weeks. I stayed mostly with friends, which was very helpful. I came back. I was jet lagged. I went back. I was jet lagged. I crossed four time zones in the second trip. And I was trying so hard to be brave because I didn't want to upset my husband. Aww. And I was getting further and further away, going to the West Coast in time zones. So we couldn't even speak that much. Oh, that's so difficult. And then one day I just like ended up in tears on FaceTime. And But it comes back to so many things that we said, which is that I didn't want to upset him. But actually, when he saw that I was struggling, in a way, it made him feel like I'm not fine just being away, doing all these, you know, exciting things. And he was so supportive. Yeah. And it was actually good for us that that happened in a way. Yeah, completely. And it's only, it's natural. And sometimes we shouldn't have to fight our innate, like you said, responses. You you let it ride. I think you described that very well at the beginning. Let the sadness be there, acknowledge it, and then you're able to deal with it, which I think is great. If we could go into diet a little bit more, because obviously that's my jam, but I'm fascinated by it. I remember, and I've mentioned this on one other episode before, when I was at university, so a long time ago, one of my first ever lectures was with a professor that specializes in omega-3 looking at neurodegenerative diseases and effects on the brain. Is it true that we have more research now? Do you know anything about the effects of, like you've mentioned, healthy fats, Mm -hmm. because we know the brain is predominantly fat. Mm -hmm. Is that an area we should all be really paying attention to, do you think? Particularly for neurodegeneration or just in general? In general, I think, with brain health, yeah. Yeah, so... um, if you are going to supplement, then that would be probably in my top three 
for mm-hmm. brain um, brain supplementation. So I'm very, very big on magnesium because we're all so stressed. Yes. I think the statistic is 70 or 75% of people in the Western world are very deficient in magnesium. And there's a sort of balance between cortisol and magnesium. So when you're stressed and your cortisol levels are high, the body leaches magnesium. So just like if you were training for a marathon, you'd eat more protein, you need to ingest more magnesium. So, But when you're very stressed, the leafy greens and the nuts and seeds, you can't eat enough of them. Oh, goodness, no. And they're not as bioavailable. One other useful tool for people might be trying to have Epsom salt baths and things with creams. Yeah, I was just going to say that. I was going to say it's best taken through the skin. Yes. So um, again, in my, you know, the build up to to going away, I was having a lot more magnesium salt baths oh, lovely. and using the gels and the lotions. But because I only travel with hand luggage, I couldn't carry this. So then I went over to the bioactivated tablets. Mm. Um, omega oils would definitely be up there. Um, and then probiotics is something that I'd love to discuss with you as well. Yes. So let's start with the omega oils and then we'll go on to probiotics. We've got a situation now where ethically and environmentally we need to be careful with our consumption of oily fish. And this is where we need to raise awareness. Now, this podcast is focusing on, on scientific facts, so I don't really delve too much into the, the ethical situations surrounding the food item. But we know that consumption of oily fish is very beneficial. But like you've just said, you can take your omega oils. And is that an area that you've been looking into as well? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, a lot more people are vegan these days as well. So mm. so they won't eat the fish. I think eating some portions of oily fish, especially because of the small bones as well, is very good for you. Yeah. Sardines, things like that. Mackerel sardines. Yeah. Um, and then you can take a fish oil or there are, you know, vegan oils, are, like yeah. flaxseed and... Um, but actually, I'm working with a startup who have created a algae oil mm. capsule, um, which is ideal for vegans. It's much more ethically so that contains DHA, the component that yeah, the fish so it's, eat. it's more DHA, which is more brain focused. Um, but actually, it has got EPA in it as well because you kind of need them in conjunction to get the best effect. Um, so. Whatever suits you out of those. So algae, um, seed oils, eating some fish or taking fish oils. But yeah, I agree with you. That's not really sustainable, but it's probably good for you if you have that choice available to you. Well, completely. But even being aware, knowing, so I'm hoping anyone now is thinking, do I eat oily fish? Do I like it? Because obviously a food preference, um, it's quite a strong tasting type of food. So if you don't eat it, have a think about these oils you can even add to your diet. You don't even have to take a capsule format. Some oils you can sprinkle over salads or or roasted veg, and then you can sprinkle nice flaxseed oil over in the end. Um, but yeah, have a think about that. And then probiotics. So we've discussed the gut is linked to the brain. We call it the gut-brain axis. What area have you been looking into here? A very exciting Ooh, new area. <laughs> Love this. Um, Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've, so we've known about the neural connection between the gut and the brain for a long time. Um, and... So we know also that the diversity and quality of your gut bacteria is very important for your physical health, your immunity. Um, And we now know that there's actually three-way transmission between your brain, your gut, and your gut bacteria as a separate organ almost. Um, So there's that direct neural connection. And then the gut bacteria signal to your gut 
so to the cell walls and to your brain through cytokine transmission, which you may remember mm, from immunology oh, at do. university. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, so that's, that's chemical messages that get sent through the blood. And so those bacteria are communicating to your brain directly and to your gut directly. And it's, a t- you know, it's totally separate to that gut brain. And it, I mean, it's so exciting. Blows my mind. How it works. Yeah. Um, so basically, if you're, I'll keep it really practical. If you're stressed, if you've used lots of antibiotics, if you've eaten processed food, if you drink a lot of alcohol, then those gut bacteria get depleted, both in quality and diversity. And then they signal to the brain and that triggers a stress response in the body and the brain so you know conversely cutting out or cutting down alcohol processed food um, eating prebiotic foods and taking probiotics helps your gut bacteria to rebuild itself Um, also a really fun part of that is eating as diverse a diet as you can. So eating food from different ethnicities Mm. can actually build up your gut bacteria And we're so lucky and fortunate that in this country here in the UK, we have access to... I mean, even in supermarkets now, you will get different cultural aisles where you can go down and try a new spice in your curry that night or, you know, check out a new type of wrap, something you never had before. And and it's, like, super good for you, your brain and your body as well. Um... And, you know, if if you think about, for example, me growing up in London, but in an Indian household, yeah. turmeric was, you know, totally, it was like an everyday thing. On the menu yeah. every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now, uh, but, you know, none of my friends would have eaten turmeric no. when I grew up in North London. But now it's, you know, it's a much bigger thing. Yeah. Turmeric shots, turmeric lattes. I, I think it's incredible how we're now so open, which is, which is great, to being culturally diverse and having those foods. I mean, oh, some of the best foods are... Sorry, it's no, I know I'm British, but they're not from the UK, in my opinion. I like, I love a roast dinner, but you know, there's so many incredible flavours that we should be embracing if we can. This does come down to cooking skills again, guys. Um, and we know that one little challenge that I often set is to try a new item of food, maybe one each week. So perhaps go into the supermarket now. You've listened to Tara and I and think I'm going to cook with a new veg I would never cook before. You can Google everything these days. You can probably YouTube video how to cook it. Um, can I also say that just to promote neuroplasticity, which is, you know, yes. the brain keeps getting challenged and learning and changing. Um, once I went to the supermarket and I said, I'm not going to buy anything that I regularly buy. Oh, and I'm wow. only going to buy things that I've never bought before. That is a challenge. Okay, it how was did really that go? Fun. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it makes you realise how narrow your choices usually are and that yes. you just go to the same aisles, you pick the same things. And you might have a bit of variation, just, you know, one or two things at the top. But there's something that you don't have this week, but you'd have next well, week. Well, most of my clients could name the same vegetables they buy every week on one hand. You know, it would be the onions, tomatoes, the peppers, it's, it's carrots. It's always the yeah. same. So diversity is key. And in fact, that's one of the good things I think plant-based diets are encouraging at the moment is that you need more different varieties of species. And that is going to help encourage um, the growth of that friendly bacteria, as we say. So if you want any more information on gut bacteria as well, we've had a podcast before on gut health. But this is an emerging field of research so we're waiting aren't we for a lot of this to come back in concrete form we're waiting more for the um three-way transmission but but also we know a bit more now about which strains of bacteria if you take a supplement um particularly relate to mental health 
Um, I can't actually remember the names off the top of my head, but I've... They're very tricky to pronounce as well, these strains. So you'll often see on the side of yogurts things like lactobacillus is a commonly known mm. one that's added to foods, bifidobacteria. Um, the other one, I can never pronounce it, Saccharibulari. Saccharomyces boulardii. Yeah. Yes, and that's the one I know for when I have a dodgy stomach. I know that's a strain that's apparently quite good when you when you've been a bit poorly. So... Where can we go at the moment then to get a bit more info on this? Is there anywhere our listeners can go to? Yeah, so I actually wrote a blog, a summary um, of the particular strains related to mental health on my Forbes leadership channel. Perfect. So if you Google Tara Swat Forbes, it should come Amazing. up. Amazing. I might have to try and steal you for a blog for our nutrition sites as well soon. Okay. We'll have to make sure that we get you. I'm, I'm very cheekily roping you in where you have no choice but to smile and say <laughs> We can edit this out later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's on it. Um, um, there's also a really good book, which I think you yes. would love, called The Psychobiotic Revolution. Oh, um, thank you. So that talks about this new research and, and you know, makes a strong case for probiotic living basically and it goes to show again how restrictive diets and things out there in the media that are so purely focused on the wrong things which is just looks and performance essentially are not helping us long term we're not thinking of the bigger picture with how our body is interconnected and all the little effects it can have so would you say that it is possible then if we conclude with the fact it's possible for everyone to master their own mind absolutely we know so much more about the brain now through sophisticated scanning technologies that we didn't have when I was doing my PhD. Wow. Um, so we know a lot more now about health, how healthy brains function because for a long time we were basing our research on guesses from things like when people had brain surgery, you know, if they had a mental illness or a tumour and they had part of their brain cut out, we sort of thought, okay, that's what that bit of the brain does. Now we can see, um, you know, through diffusion tensor imaging, through functional MRI, what happens when you take a risk, when you make a decision, when you're stressed, when you're confident. Um, and there's so much that we can do. I mean, I'm not by any means right now saying that anyone can do everything, but there's a lot more that, that each of us can do than we've believed possible before. And Well, in that, your book, you yeah. wrote a four-step plan. Yeah. Um, and you know, I wrote it partly because of what you said, that not everybody can get therapy. And this is a way of kind of taking yourself through a therapeutic process. Um but it's also to say that the brain is so amazing and so malleable that it's not just general knowledge that the brain can do more and change more in adulthood than we thought. It's that you can get so much more out of your brain. And that's exciting. Oh, I, I'm buzzing. I feel so uplifted. It's almost making me think... I don't feel guilty anymore for wanting to go to bed early and not really go out partying every evening. Well, not that I am at the moment, I'm pregnant, <laughs> but you know, it's those little types of things, I think. So any initial obstacles that we all go through every day. Stress is something that we've probably repeated throughout, but not really touched on majorly. Um, meditation obviously will help. For you. You've mentioned it's your way as well of calming down, but there are other ways out there for anyone that's concerned about your stress levels. It's something that is difficult to override, especially as it's part of everyday life, it seems. Do you have any tips for people that want to reduce their stress levels? Um, so we've mentioned the sorts of things that you can do if you have symptoms like take magnesium, do meditation, physical exercise, go to bed early. Yeah. Um, but I do think addressing some root causes is important. So um, I would say that some of the things that I hear my clients say cause them the most stress are multitasking, being switched on all the time, information overload. And so I'm a huge fan of digital detoxes. Um, I love that. <laughs> that can be a long one when you go on holiday or it can just be one evening that you're not 
you know, scrolling through your phone whilst watching TV and eating your dinner and talking to whoever's at home. Oh my goodness, it's such an easy habitual thing to fall into and one that we discuss a lot, but I just think it makes such a difference um, if it's actually visually out of sight. I find if your phone is... Oh, I can't remember who we had on that was talking about the research. If your phone is on your table, even if it's not face up you're still consciously knowing it's there and Mm. you're consciously, subconsciously Mm. thinking about it. Mm. So you need to remove it from visual sight and just lock it away for a few hours. That's such a good, that's such a good idea. And I think, you know, if, if the stress is more than that, that, that I would say is everyday stress for everyone. Then something I used to do in my journal is actually write down things to do when I'm feeling stressed. And it was just a really simple list, like talk to a friend, read a magazine, take a bath, eat a square of chocolate, mm-hmm. um, and some more specific things, like, you know, for me. But I used that list so much that I eventually got to the point where I didn't have to look at the list. Mm-hmm. But when you're stressed, you can't really think of what to do. You can't even think, if I go and have a bath and actually lie in it quietly for 15 minutes with the magnesium, I will feel so much better. Yeah. That it's useful to actually have it written down. Oh, completely. So have you got any success stories or are there any main ways that you've witnessed people that have actually trained their brain? They've got this amazing new well-being. Um, So in my coaching work, which generally takes about six months, I've seen many, many transformations like that. And the main areas that I work are in building emotional intelligence. So people who are really good at what they do but don't interact well with people. Um... And I've had great feedback from the person themselves, but also the teams around them. The homework I give those people who, you know, perhaps don't really listen, don't make good eye contact, interrupt people, um, is go home tonight and listen to your child for five minutes without interrupting and without looking at your phone. And every business person that I've asked to do that homework comes back and tells me after five minutes once, my child told me things they've never told me before. (gasps) Which just makes you realise that we're never really listening and giving eye contact. We're interrupting all the time. We're on our phones whilst our children want our attention. And this is women as well as men who say that was like mind-blowing. So then I just get them to build that up, spend more time paying attention, listening with friendly people and, and build it up and up till they can do it with somebody that's you know they've had a challenging relationship with. It's like the pennies dropped. I could feel that in the room then when you mentioned that. That was quite um, quite mind-blowing, actually, and a really, really good tip. And obviously, if you're at home and you don't, you don't have a child to talk to, practice with your partner, your other half, your best friend, and just challenge yourself, surely, to just sitting there, listening, absorbing it all. So we have questions from the audience, because I could talk about this for forever. <laughs> I realised I could go off on a tangent. There's so much to cover. Um, Thea has asked, does smoking affect your brain health? That's an interesting one. So there have been some um, conflicting studies about the effects of nicotine on the brain. You mentioned neurodegeneration, and my PhD was on neurodegeneration. So there were some studies that showed that nicotine could have a protective effect against degenerative disease. However, obviously, smoking and vaping is very bad for you for other reasons, so that's not really the way to do it. Um, Even if you just used nicotine gum so we're now separating nicotine from smoking um overall i would say that the benefits are not really worth it because there are some effects on um healing in the body physical healing in the body bone healing and things like that so overall i'm gonna have to say no 
Interesting. And again, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, we're talking about things like Alzheimer's, dementia, um, those sorts Parkinson's, of things. Parkinson's. Parkinson's, yeah. yeah. Um, Mark has asked, if I don't drink water, how quickly will it affect my brain? Um, I actually have a little game that I play with myself, which is, how quickly will I die if I don't do these things? Oh my goodness, <laughs> Tara, that's, that's such a drastic game. Explain this for us. <laughs> so it goes back to the rest, fuel, hydrate, oxygenate and simplify. Because sometimes people say, well, what's more important? Should I skimp on sleep to do exercise? Or, you know, if I don't drink water? So that's the way, the way to think about it is if you didn't drink water, you'd be dead in a month. Yeah. Um, if you didn't eat, but you drank water, you could probably live for a bit longer than that. You know, and then, you know, if you didn't Ooh, sleep, how long it would take for yeah. you to have like mental problems. So, I mean, once you're one to three percent dehydrated, your mental, your cognitive abilities are affected. Yeah, so things decline. like memory, concentration, focus, attention. By the time you're thirsty, you're aware of being thirsty or you have dry lips, you're way more than three percent dehydrated. And that's why it's I think it's the law now that children have to have water in their school bag. I didn't know that, but I'm sure I will next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that is going to be the case. It's one of the most overlooked items, and the average, um, the stat in the UK is each Brit drinks around one glass of water a day. Oh my goodness, I it's, didn't know that. It's a problem. That's terrible. Yeah, shocking. Um, so you know, again, like not the if what, how long will it take me to die game, but just see, like if I'm jet lagged and I need to sort of, you know, I need to be, like you know at my best for something then I think okay I don't have time to go for a nap I don't have time to go for a run if, if I have a very short period of time I'll, I'll down a glass of water I'll take 10 deep breaths and depending on the time of day or what it is I might have like a square of dark chocolate so I, I sort of think what can I do that's going to boost my brain if I've got 10 minutes I do meditation but you know I'm talking oh, about that's great you've oxygenated you've got yeah. hydrated that, yeah. I, I absolutely love that so Ali has said can we improve our IQ can we train our brains yeah, so this is, again, has been very contentious. So the, the book to read, if you're interested in this, is Mindset by Professor, Professor Carol Dweck at Stanford. Um, and so what, like you said, some people are born with a certain amount of resilience, but we can all, you know, learn it or improve it. IQ is a number that's attributed really from like a one-off test. So, but let's say even if it's just how intelligent you are, that is malleable just like everything else in the brain. So... Even if you just thought about those six ways of thinking and you became a bit more emotionally intelligent and you accessed your wisdom more and you listened to your body more, your intelligence overall would go up. And in terms of executive functions, which I think are a much better measure than IQ, um, and they're the highest functions of the brain, the ability to um, regulate your emotions, suppress your biases, think flexibly, solve problems. Um, the things that affect that the most are sleep, diet, exercise, hydration. Um, interestingly, exercise is actually deemed to be, in an algorithm about executive functions, the second most effective way to improve your executive functions. The first one is something you alluded to earlier, which is your sense of belonging. Mm. So those positive, meaningful relationships mm. are the single most important factor in brain health, and, and it's twice as, a, as impactful as physical exercise. Which really hammers home why every work environment and office that I ever go into to do corporate wellness talks, 
I think every workplace and where you spend most of your day-to-day life should be encouraging wellness, should be encouraging social interaction and making it a happy environment. You'll get more out of your staff if you do that. Um, so that was a yes, I think. Yes, yeah. a big yes. Yeah. <laughs> a big yes to that, 100%. Um, Carol has said, how do your cholesterol levels affect your brain? This is so interesting. I love that question. Yeah. Um, so basically... There's a few ways of thinking about this. Vascular disease um, contributes to neurodegeneration. So some people will get Alzheimer's. That's a particular type of dementia um, that's not to do with the condition of your veins and arteries. But some people who wouldn't have got Alzheimer's because of the condition of their veins and arteries, so how clogged up they are, um, how blocked off they are, things like that. Um, So either, I mean, clogged up as in stuff around the inside wall blocked off as in actual little clots and things like rearranging your blood flow um those things that that condition of your cardiovascular system can affect your brain function later in life but also what happens is that starts much earlier than you see symptoms Mm. Um, and so cholesterol is a fairly good measure related to the condition of your vascular system, the amount of visceral fat that you have, yes, how well your liver's working. Um, and so basically, it's all of connected. Course. So yeah. And remember, cholesterol is broken down. It's not just your overall cholesterol. It will be a ratio, which your GP will be able to talk you through. Uh, thank you so much for answering those questions for us, Tara. We now move on to uh, the fact or fiction round. Are you ready? <laughs> ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> it's very difficult for us scientists to answer fact or fiction rounds. Um, okay, so if you could answer fact or fiction to the following questions. Alcohol kills brain cells. Fact. Signs of a successful brain surgery go as far back as the Stone Age. I'm going to say fiction. <laughs> <laughs> the average uh, human brain weighs around three pounds. I think it's a li- little bit more than that. It's... Two to three kilos or four to five pounds, oh, I think. So it's that's pretty close. It's close to being a fact, but I don't know if it's 100%. The brain can feel pain. Fiction. Oh, oh, why? Why is that? So um, it's just the nature of the nerve cells in the brain are that they're not, they're not, there's no pain receptors in the actual brain. So if you have brain surgery, um, it would hurt when they cut through the skin and saw open the skull, but it wouldn't actually hurt inside your brain. <laughs> Gave me a little shiver then. Um, about 75% of the brain is made up of water. Fact. Brains of females and males differ. I'm going to say fiction. I love that. Um, your brain grows until around the age of 18. Fiction. It grows till around the age of 25, proactively. And then from 25 to 65, you can do things to... Um, help it to keep growing. Brilliant. Humans use only 10% of their brain. Ah, this is my worst one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched that movie Lucy where it's based on that premise. I was yeah. on a plane and I was literally angry the whole time oh. I watched it. Um, we use all of our brain, but we use different parts at different times. And, and so that's why the whole idea of just unleashing as much of your brain power as possible is that you're probably using the same pathways and you can use so much more. Brilliant. Human brain starts to lose memory abilities in your 20s. Fiction because of neuroplasticity. So if you keep doing things to improve it, that doesn't have to be true. Your brain uses 20% of the oxygen and blood in your body. Minimum, but that's a fact, yeah. 
Well answered. <laughs> Can we go back onto the female-male differences a little bit? Yes. What do we know? Because I, I, I heard the myth or the fact that obviously females have a smaller brain, but we use more of it. <laughs> I like <laughs> the way you put that. Um, so because this, because um, women tend to be smaller than men, but not all women are smaller than all men, um, skull size tends to be smaller. So that's partially true that more women will have smaller skulls and therefore smaller brains than men. But the grey matter that we used to think with... That's more dense and compact in female brains. And the um, the white matter that's the packaging material, there's more of that in male brains. Oh, I love it. <laughs> These are all population norm studies based on generalisations. Yeah, we have to throw that out there. So that does wrap up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that if you're like me and you're sitting behind a desk for a good portion of the day, not really moving a lot, your brain does still require fuel. This is why it's so much more important to look past fatty diets and restriction and really look at food in a different way because the good news is that improving your diet, which Tara and I have discussed today, it can really positively affect your health. And looking at a nutrient-dense diet doesn't make us immune to mental health difficulties. We should throw that out there. But it is worth considering how your food does kind of shape your brain. I mean, it's so much more than just that number on the scales. Along with feeding our brains to be better, we can utilize and train it. That's something I've definitely taken away from today's episode. And in turn, succeed with new and exciting opportunities. So start off slow. Um maybe take on board what Tara's said today. She's given you so many useful tools. Um, definitely read her book. Things that are going to help you hit your goals. So keep a positive attitude, which will help the endurance. And it's probably likely to boost your motivation and productivity levels as well. And if Tara, you could share a take home message, a food for thought for our listeners, what would that be? I'm really just going to back up what you've just said with the science, which is that Neuroplasticity means that our brains are much more malleable than we ever thought before and we can change and learn things throughout our life. I'd like to ask your listeners to reflect on their six ways of thinking. So mastering your emotions, listening to your body, trusting your gut, making good decisions, staying motivated and resilient and creating the life that you want to absolutely identify your strengths, but also see, you know, is there an area that you want to use neuroplasticity to build up? Um, as you mentioned, um, all of this information and the actual practical exercises that you can do are in my book, The Source, Open Your Mind, Change Your Life. Um, and as you know, I'm very active on Instagram. Yes. So where can our listeners find you? So I'm I'm on all social media channels, but I would say Instagram is the one that I use the most and it's Dr. Tara Swart. So D-R Tara Swart. Perfect. Well, we've been so privileged to have your time today, Tara. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an amazing chat, really novel. If you enjoyed this episode, you're going to absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get this podcast out there so that we can reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully be able to help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.